Welcome to Triumphant Victorious Reminders with Teresa Ann, the show that brings you thoughtful perspective through the lens of Christ. Join us every Saturday morning at 1130 a.m. on The Bridge Austin Radio, broadcasting on both 1120 a.m. and 101.1 FM. Whether you're on the go, hitting the gym, or simply relaxing with your favorite beverage, Triumphant Victorious Reminders will empower you to live in Christ with heavenly wit. Teresa Ann reminds us that true perspective isn't just about being positioned correctly, it's about being positioned in Christ, who is the ultimate perspective. So tune in and let your friends know to join us as we journey towards seeing mission fields in the midst of battlefields. This is Triumphant Victorious Reminders with Teresa Ann, and we're excited to have you with us. Well, it is another episode of Triumphant Victorious Reminders with me, your host, Teresa Ann, and I'm so grateful that you are taking time out of your day to join me right now on this Saturday. So first and foremost, I just want to say thank you, Father, for this moment in time, this space, this place where you, we're just making ourselves aware to you and your presence that is always with us. So Lord, I thank you that every single word that is spoken would be as a readied writer by your spirit and that any other words that are not of you, that they would fall on deaf ears in Jesus name. And that this episode would point every, every hearer to you. So father, I thank you, Lord, that every person right now would have ears to hear you eyes to see you. And after that, Lord God, there would be application just in awe of you. And from that place of awe, they would just live a life just responding to you in the midst of this life. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay, so I am really excited to just really kind of continue on from last week's episode. Now, last week's episode was titled The Fig Tree or Trust and the Fig Tree. And there was an amazing just correlation of me just asking God. And I know that was a prompting even from the Lord to ask him this particular question of why he would curse a fig tree because it didn't have fruit when all the while it wasn't even in a season to produce fruit. So if you remember that episode from last week, this is kind of a continuation of that because we were led into Jeremiah 17, 7 through 8, we were, um, actually 5 through 10 of Jeremiah 17. And it shows, uh, God shows the contrast between someone who doesn't trust him, they live a cursed life, um, not because he curses them, but because of what happens when we don't trust him. The default is we, the curse is there. And so it says that those who are cursed, those who do not trust the Lord are cursed when they, what, when they trust in themselves and mere humans, they turn their backs on God. And so we were, t- I was talking about last week, how we don't just intentionally, most of the time say, I'm turning my back on you, Lord. It's what happens when we trust ourselves and trust other people or trust a situation or a process more than him. What happens when you trust yourself 
Uh, at first it can sound, it can seem great, but then you wonder why you're exhausted. You become like what it says in Jeremiah 17, a, 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 a shrub that doesn't grow. It's a stunted shrub growing, not even growing. And it's in the desert. There's nothing. There's no fruit. There's, there's no life in that kind of living. But those who trust in the Lord, those people are blessed. But, but what does it look like when they're blessed? That they have a big house or they have great cars or they have, they're healthy. Like, and and I really want to go here. This is what it says. It says, those who trust in me live a blessed life so that no matter the season of life that they're going through, whether there's drought, whether there's heat, that it will, that tree planted in the riverbanks of the living water of God by the spirit, watch what happens. They produce fruit in every season and their leaves are always green. Notice that when Jesus cursed the fig tree, it had plenty of leaves, but it didn't have fruit. And the whole point of his message right after that fig tree was what? Verse 22 of Mark 11, have faith in God. Then you can say to the mountain, be moved and be cast into the sea. And whatever you believe, it will happen. But we, so what's happened to our world is we have kind of taken that scripture of Mark 11 out of context. We've taken verse 21 out, have faith in God. And then all we read is you can say to the mountain, be removed. And if you believe it'll happen, our belief system has to be founded in God first, because when it's founded in him, guess what happens? You don't see the mountain more magnificent than God. The mountain is actually so, has turned into a plateau within our minds because we see almighty God. It doesn't mean that the mountain isn't there. It means that our beholding of the Lord is so huge that it dwarfs everything else. It doesn't dismiss everything else. It doesn't say that the bad things aren't happening, but what it does say is in the midst of what's happening, I'm going to see you, God, as greater. Because if I see you as greater, then it doesn't matter what's coming at me. It doesn't mean I won't feel it. It doesn't mean I, at first I won't be scared, but I'll constantly be reminded, do not be afraid. Why? because I should just get my big girl panties on and, and just fight the fight. No, the reason why I'm not afraid is because I remember that he is with me. So I'm doing a summary here because I really want to go to this. I I believe the Holy spirit wants us to see something in a greater light because I think what's happened I actually know what's happened is our church, especially in the Western world, is so about being blessed, living the blessed life, 
without knowing the blesser. And I kind of liken it to someone who, um, I hate this term, but I'm going to use it, a gold digger. They just want the guy because of his money. And are we wanting God because he blesses us? Jesus made a promise. He said this. He said, you're going to have trouble in this life. But he didn't stop there. He says, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Well, how did Jesus overcome the world? Well, we know that what we get to do as a light is to overcome evil by doing good. But how do you do that? Well, it's with God's love and not just something that God possesses as love, but who he is as love. And so now let's go full circle to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 13, we all, we, most of us know, whether you know of God or have a relationship with God or you've been to a wedding. You've heard this scripture quoted, love is, love is patient, love is kind, okay? So here we have 1 Corinthians 13, laying out the groundwork of what God looks like, who is love. But in 1 Corinthians 13, instead of saying God, who God is, it says love is, okay? So if you take that word love and you realize it's the person who is love or the spirit of God who is love, then you can see something greater. Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, you cannot read that on its own. You have to couple it with 13. So chapter 12, what does it talk about? It talks about spiritual gifts, okay? So all the gifts that we have been given. It doesn't matter if you know God, if you don't know God, you have been given an innate gift when you were born, before you were born. There were innate gifts inside of you. So those gifts are given to us without having to repent. So there are people that are walking around with the gifts of God, whether it's in technology, whether it's in administration, whether it's in singing, whether it, whatever it is, they have these gifts that are from God. So then 1 Corinthians 13 says in the very beginning, what it says that you could give your whole life and sacrifice it. But if you don't have love, it's like clanging symbols, right? It's it's nothing at the end. You can give everything you have to the poor. You could be the greatest philanthropist in the world. And yet, if you don't have love, it's nothing in the end. It's like a billion times zero is still what? Zero. So as I was thinking about it today, I was thinking about the fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned in Galatians 5. And the fruit of the Spirit is not something we produce. It's what the Holy Spirit produces in us as evidence of who we belong to, the God who is love. All right. So the greatest way, um, the greatest way 
to in whatever way we want to display our works within the world, okay? If we're doing it without God, it will in the end add up to nothing. We might leave our own legacy, but there's no legacy in that pointing to Christ, okay? So that's that's the first nail in the wall I want I want to establish here. So, but when we do it in the Lord, when we do it in him, not just for him, because it's living in Christ, okay? His love of who he is is seen in the world. It becomes peculiar. It's his kingdom being seen in and through us in the earth as it is in heaven like it says in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6, 9 through 13 and Luke 11, 2 through 4. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, well, the kingdom coming is through us partnering with God who his spirit is within us to display the peculiarity of God's love that actually makes people go, how in the world? Why did you do that when you could have easily, you could have easily sought revenge, but instead you chose to do it in God's love. Now that's what this display, it makes a spectacle. It makes a beautiful skeptical. It's not to be this peculiar, weird, religious um, thumping people in the head with the Bible and telling him, you know, where they're going. If they don't know Jesus, the kingdom of God, the gospel that we are to spread is the kingdom of God. And that is through our lives with his love. And it's not just the gospel of salvation. It's the gospel of the kingdom in which salvation is within that message that reveals what? God, who is love through his son, Jesus. So let's let's just keep going. Think about, again, 1 Corinthians 13. It's in the middle of chapter 12 and 14, which are so significant. So you need to know 12 to know, again, spiritual gifts, right? And, um, the most excellent way to flow in the spiritual gifts is with God who is love, which is when we read chapter 13. It's showing who God is and what he looks like and what a life looks like in him with those spiritual gifts. So I could have spiritual gifts of administration, but if I'm not doing this unto the Lord and with him, then my administrative gifts are doing something within the earth, but it's not doing this exponential, uh, powerful thing with God to where all of a sudden you're seeing the loaves and the fish of life be multiplied in ways that you can never do on your own. Okay, so the most excellent way to flow in the spiritual gifts is with God, who is love which is when you find that out in chapter 13. It's showing who God is and what he looks like and what a life looks like in him with those spiritual gifts. Then in chapter 14, it talks about the gift of speaking languages or tongues that we did not learn on our own. 
or with our own intellect and what it should look like to have order and worshiping together when we come together collectively. So it's 1 Corinthians 13. It's this letter from Paul saying, okay, when you guys get together, you need to be stirring up the ability to know how to go out into the world and show the world God's love. And it doesn't matter if you have the gift of administration or you have, you know, this gift or that gift, whatever it may be, maybe of encouragement or, you know, is that gift of encouragement, are you using it in a way where it's worship unto the Lord? Are you using encouragement as flattery to get what you want? So, or it could just be that you encourage people because it encourages you. And I think that's good, but it's not God because encouragement is where you're literally wanting to encourage people to be pointed back to the father, not to you, not to your resources, not to your books, not to your programs, but back to the father. So here's love, love, as it says in chapter 13 at the very end. Hope, faith, and love are the things that will last forever. But the greatest of these is love. And the fruit of the Spirit produced in us by the Spirit, it's not, we are not the ones that produce that. We are the ones that get to see it as witnesses flowing through us in these ways with love, joy, peace, patience. It's like all of it together is being seen when we do it with love. It's not about us picking our fruit and saying, okay, today I think I want to walk in patience today. You know what? I need to walk in kindness. No, it's like, it's like this. Um, it, I believe Paul is really trying to it reiterate here. Let me tell you what love looks like. Let me tell you what the spirit of God and the evidence of who he is in your life is going to look like. I want to make this adamantly clear that in love, it, the love of God is going to be so revealed in this joy, this joy that brings peace, that brings faithfulness, that brings kindness, that brings goodness, that brings self-control. It's like when you get squeezed, what's coming out of you? Is you coming out of you? Is your flesh coming out of you? Or is the spirit of God being revealed? And that's what this whole thing in life with God is doing is it's renewing our mind to get us out of the past experiences of life where we've done everything in fear. We did everything out of superstition. We did everything out of doing it our own way or because our parents did it that way or because, you know, this is just what we do. It is what it is. And it's renewing our mind in God who is love to start doing it his way to as I say often to unlearn the things that we've learned in life by learning from the spirit of God. So this is what's so exciting about this message is it shows that the burden is off of us to perform. It is us relying on God to know that when we are in him, it's we are in him because of all and wonder 
of who he is, that out of that place of awe and wonder of what he's done for us, of who he is to us, that we can't help but want to respond from a place of grateful heart. It's coming from a place of not sacrifice of, oh, I have to do this because I have to show that I am a child of God. No, it's like, I want to do this because Lord, you have, you have made my life not easy, but you've made my life so full of peace in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of hardship. You have shown yourself to be my bravery and my courage. That without you, I could not live this life. My own capacity to live this life on my own with my own fish and loaves of life is nothing in comparison to when I do this life in you, you blow my capacity out of the water and you do exponential, powerful things through my life when I respond to you with awe and wonder. See, responding to God in awe and wonder is what living by the Spirit looks like. But when we live by the law, we are always going to get it wrong. Because it shows in the Old Testament over and over again, when you live by the law, you will always fall short. Always. But when you live by the Spirit, the overflow of God's Spirit in you causes you to not have to obey. But you see it as wanting to obey. You don't see this, oh, I better obey or else he will He'll strike me dead. No, it's... I want to obey because I know that my obedience to him is only because of his grace. And his grace that causes me to obey is an empowerment to get others to see the spectacle of obedience so that they too will glorify the father in heaven. Because at the end, this is what it's all about. It's about the spirit of God through us drawing others unto the father. And it's not, it's not going to be done with just our gifts alone. I know a lot of gifted people that are mean. I know a lot of gifted people that have a great self-discipline. And then they look down on people when they can't do what they do. But let me tell you what the love of God does. It takes our own capacity, whether it's great or small, and it causes this explosion of power that is, like they say, dynamite power, where it blows people into the Father and says, whoa, I've never seen that gift used in that way. And that's what we get to do in this life, that just like that fig tree that was full of leaves, but it didn't produce fruit because really it wasn't supposed to. Why? Because it wasn't in the season to produce fruit. However, in Christ, we will be able to, to, to produce fruit even when it's not in the season to do so. But when does that happen? How does that happen? It's to those who trust in God. Notice whenever God said, do not be afraid, he didn't just leave it at that. He said, do not be afraid. And this is why. 
because I am with you. And the I am of who he is never points back to you. It never affirms you and who you are. The power of God affirms you by who he is. Let me say that again. It's not about us looking in a mirror and telling ourselves how great we are, how beautiful beautiful we are, or how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. What it is, is looking in the mirror and saying, oh my gosh, my reflection reminds me of how great you are, God. And in that, that's what encourages us to stay in him. See, when we affirm ourselves, what we're doing about who we are, we will get to waver. Because in the moment, as you don't affirm yourself, you're going to look at yourself. You're going to hear the thoughts of you're not, you're not good enough. And that's when you say with heavenly weight, you're right. I'm not good enough. But God is. Because again, the affirmation goes back to who he is. I love what I heard this weekend from Kimberly Hart. She's a psychotherapist out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. And she was making mention of Mary. When Mary was told that she would be the woman who would carry the son of God. And she said, who am I? And Kim Har said, and God affirmed her by saying, I am he. It will not be you doing any producing of this son. It will only be the Holy Spirit. Now that is so powerful. Again, it's a burden removing promise that this is not about our efforts. It's about our efforts surrender to God so that he can do the greater things that we can never do on our own. So that now we can be the trees that are Their roots are deep within the riverbanks of the spirit of God to where their leaves stay green, no matter the season, no matter the drought, no matter the heat, no matter the cold. And not only will their leaves stay green, they won't just look like a Christian, but they will produce fruit, the evidence of living life in the spirit and not by the law. Now that is a promise. That is a triumphant, victorious reminder. Because now we realize that our triumphant victory is not in what we have. It's in who he is. And that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is our triumphant victory. And because of that, we can see with heavenly wit to see mission fields in the midst of the battlefields. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Triumphant Victorious Reminders with Teresa Ann. We hope that you were empowered and encouraged by the insights and perspectives shared on this program. Remember, living in Christ transforms us into his likeness and enables us to live an abundant life with heavenly wit. With Teresa Ann, we have learned to see mission fields in the midst of battlefields. 
Be sure to tune in next Saturday morning at 1130 for another edition of Triumphant Victorious Reminders with Teresa Ann. Until then, keep seeking Christ, who is the true perspective, and may his blessings be upon you always.